Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to Let Me Introduce You, a podcast of three best friends from college who have so much in common, except for our taste in film. Leading the the episode this week, I am Ashley. Hey, hi. Hello. Well, hello. Oh, and I'm Graham. <laughs> and I'm Katie. Awesome. <laughs> and these are your three awkward favorite podcast best friends, hopefully. Very we awkward. Queens. We three queens, <laughs> we three queens of, of friendship. Wow. There we go. That's a good one. <laughs> I was like, oh. So every week we pick at least one film that one of us has not seen. And usually a person picking it has a deep-seated, heart-connected reason for picking it, or maybe we're just trying to torture the others. You know, it varies. Friendship is suffering. Um, Friendship is suffering, (laughs) And we just kind of break it down. We talk about why it's memorable, why we wanted to introduce slash torture, subject the other people to it, and just bring in some facts and have a good time. This podcast is meant to be having a good time. I'm going to warn you, I picked this week's film. It is... (laughs) Warning, it's an Ashley week. (laughs) It's an Ashley week. And as I said, I want films that make me think and or feel something. This is feeling too much. This is this this week is all the feels. We're not enough feeling. I love feels. Yeah, we are. I love feeling. Damp them down. Don't feel them. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, during this pandemic, I only feel three things. Anger, <laughs> sadness, and the anger is really just a cover for the sadness, or just like numbness with occasional like mirth or joy, but that's just because of all of, uh, and I don't use this word lightly because of all the insanity. Yeah, you also feel Bob. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you got engaged and you bought a house this year. I hope yes. the mirth and the happiness are in there somewhere. There is joy occasionally. It's just like really tamped down by everything else. It's like going on an antidepressant where it kind of brings your highs down, but the antidepressant actually like shores up the lows and this year just tamps down the good stuff and just bottoms, just like removes the bottom from all the lows. So get ready for a rip roaring out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, guys, let's dive in. I do want to let you know the film that we're talking about does deal with some pretty intense themes. So like suicide and abuse and things like that. We're not going to go too deep into some of those because it is triggering for some of us. If that is something that's just like a little overwhelming for you, maybe don't watch this film. Don't read this book. That's okay. That's oh, okay. thank God I didn't read the book. <laughs> <laughs> that would have sucked. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, right? Oh, but we didn't um, even introduce our theme. Why we're talking I know. about Oh, my God. Wait, what is our theme? What are we even yeah. talking about? Theme? Oh, my gosh. Our theme is Book It! Book It! <laughs> Sponsored by Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> we wish. Pizza Hut, we will totally, we will do a Book It theme every season if you sponsor us. We would we love that. We will be sponsored by Pizza Hut, and then we get to use our tushies. Sponsor us, tushies. <laughs> yes. I, I'm trying to think of the sponsors that we've tried to get so far. It's Pizza we also Hut, talked about Tushy, Pornhub. and Pornhub. So yeah. I could see where you connect These are a few those. of my favorite things. So. <laughs> I mean, adulthood really just encompasses those I know, three. After I I eat pizza hut all i want to do is masturbate of course who doesn't (laughs) because this week we are talking about a high school coming of age film that i deeply identified with as a kid called the perks of being a wallflower by stephen chobsky and i didn't look up how to pronounce his name so i apologize if i pronounced that wrong sir You know, because he's definitely going to be listening to this, right? So The Perks of Being a Wallflower, the book was originally published in February of 1999. Both Graham and I read this. That was our freshman year of high school. We read that. Shout out to Books A Million in Jacksonville, Florida, where I bought it. (laughs) What? I have no idea where I bought mine, but I still have my copy. And this film was originally released on October 12th, 2012. Well, it actually opened in late September, but maybe the wide release was October 12th. Oh, Graham, can you give me more details and like, you know, some box office? So it it opened in four screens as one of those limited... Test the Waters kind of release and made mm. a shit ton that weekend. It made 228000 in just four screens. Wow. And ended up making, in total, $17.7 million. Whoa, really? Domestically. And for like an that's, indie film, that that's pretty good. That's it made even good. more money overseas. So I think in total, worldwide, it made about $30 million. 
I'm, well I'm surprised at those numbers. I didn't go see it in the theaters when it was released because I was so scared that it was going to be done very poorly. But before we just keep talking about it, Graham, would you like to give us a synopsis so people know, like, hey, I don't know of this thing. What is it? All right. Perks of being a wallflower. So it takes place in the early 90s in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh to be exact. And we have Charlie, who is this freshman in high school who's who's had a bit of a rough summer. He is just freshly out of a mental health institution. And he's very nervous about starting his freshman year. We see a lot of scenes of him just being very lonely in school and not being able to find a place or connect with people. He does connect with his English teacher, who keeps giving him books to read and kind of extra credit work to keep his mind fresh. And he eventually meets two seniors, Sam, played by Emma Watson, and her stepmother, Patrick, who is played by Ezra Miller. Yeah. Oh, I should say Charlie's played by Logan Lerman. And Sam and Patrick are these, like, really creatives. They're, like, not part of, like, the popular crowd. They consider themselves to be misfits in, in their school. And they bring him, after a football game, to their house. He eats a weed brownie and reveals to Sam that his best friend committed suicide at the end of school, the school year previously. Sam is really affected by this and says, Patrick, we need to bring him in to be part of our group. So they bring Charlie in and he's feeling a part of this like older senior crowd. So he begins a friendship with both of them and their friends are in their group. He helps Sam improve her math test scores in the SATs so she can get into Penn State. He hears through the grapevine that Patrick is having this like secret love affair with the high school quarterback. Well, he walks in on them. He walks in on them. And then throughout this, he's like writing letters to a friend. And so like, that's kind of a through line through the whole movie. And he's having flashbacks to his aunt Helen, who's played by Melanie Linsky. Love her as an actress. I know. I love her her too. And you can tell he had a connection with this, this aunt. As the year goes by, he be- ends up dating one of the friends in the group, Mary Elizabeth, played by the delightful Mae Whitman. Her? And he doesn't really want to be part of this relationship. He really wants to be with Sam. It's evident that he's in love with her, but he kind of just like goes along with it. And at a truth or dare party, he is asked, oh, kiss the cutest girl in the room. And he ends up kissing Sam. Everyone's like, how could you kiss Sam? You're dating Mary Elizabeth. This is so embarrassing. Hey, maybe you should take a break from our group for a while. And so that really sends Charlie into like a bit of a depression. And at the same time, Patrick is Patrick and his beau Brad are caught by Brad's dad. And Brad's dad beats Brad up. And Patrick goes to confront Brad in the high school cafeteria because he's like, you've been ignoring me. We have something. And then Brad and his friends start making fun of him, calling him all you can imagine, a lot of gay slurs, and then start hitting him. Charlie comes in and tries to like break up the fight. And then the screen turns black. You wake and the, the next scene you realize that like, Charlie like beat the shit out of all these guys to defend. Yeah, fuck him up. Because of this, Sam is like, oh, my God, thank you so much for helping him. Yes, of course, you can come be part of our group again because he's like, I'm so sorry for what I did. So they continue their friendships. And then at the end of the year, all the seniors go their separate ways. Charlie kind of has a breakdown and starts blaming himself for his Aunt Helen's death, who we find out in flashbacks has died when he was young. And then on his birthday, on his birthday. And he makes this distressed call to his sisters like, it's my fault. It's my fault. And then we cut to him in a psychiatric ward with a doctor who basically brings out these repressed memories of Charlie having been sexually abused by his aunt. And his parents don't know about it. They're devastated. And he spends the summer you know, with his family in this in this hospital, gets out at the end and tries to get back into like a normal routine with his family. And then Sam and Patrick come to the house at the end of the movie. Sam has been away for the whole summer at Penn State. Basically say like things are going to get so much better. Like life is like outside of high school. There's, there's life outside of high school. And they get into a car and drive through a tunnel and to the tune of Heroes by David Bowie. And he thinks in that moment that he is infinite. And that's the movie. 
It's a real feel-good romp, if there ever was one. Yeah. Something that is so upbeat. I mean, I, they might as well have sang Scrubbing Day halfway through. <laughs> well, it's my favorite day. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't a spit it's take. just spit-taked my tea. Yeah, it's definitely There's a, a lot that I didn't movie. include. There's, oh, my God. I felt so much in this movie. This is an extremely <laughs> oh my emotional God. movie. I watched this with Bob, and I turned to him before it even started, and I said, I'm definitely going to be crying during this. Yeah. Okay, so Ashley, why did, why did you pick this? Why did you inflict this movie? I mean, and why did you pick this movie <laughs> for us? Why did I subject you to this? I didn't realize it was going to be it's an infliction. so intense. I, I did not do it maliciously. Later this season, I am definitely subjecting, like, inflicting you, Katie, yeah, specifically, I know, to a certain me. movie. Not looking forward to that. So let's flash back to a little high school Ashley. This would be... 23 years ago. Oh my well, God. 14, 15 year old Ashley. I was a very depressed kid. I started experiencing depression and anxiety very young, like Charlie. And unfortunately, like a lot of folks, like I had experienced my own occurrence of sexual abuse. And so it's just a lot of like not knowing how to deal with things. We have a lot of depression, and anxiety in my family. And so I Katie, we've talked about this before where, like, I desperately want to, like, fit in, right? Like, but I also feel like this weird misfit. And so I would still want to, like, wear the clothes and, like, have the friends. And I played sports. But meanwhile, inside, I just felt like I was carrying this huge secret around of, like, I'm actually really unhappy all of the time and blah, blah, blah. And so when I read this book, I really identified with Charlie as somebody who – he very much was alone. Like, as we saw at the beginning of the film, he's eating lunch by himself and reading books, right? And I would be sitting with friends, but I would I would feel the way that he appeared. And so being able to read a book like this made me realize, like, oh, my God, there are other people like me and I'm not alone. And, like, I was so desperate for, like, love and belonging and acceptance. And that's also, like, a shitty thing about having depression. For those of you who don't, like, your brain is a goddamn liar and just tells you, like, the worst things about yourself. And you think it's true because it's coming. The call is coming from inside the house, <laughs> a.k.a. your head. Call back to Black Christmas. And so when I read it, I just, I read it at a very pivotal, important time in my life. I was, like, extremely impressionable. I had just had my own phenomenal English teacher and just like felt connection to life. And so I just, it, it felt like a life raft, even though it wasn't giving me solutions, just being able to see myself and see my parts of my own story made me realize like, oh, okay. At least other, I'm not other alone people in feel this. this. Yeah. Yeah. Other people feel this way. Even, even if I, you know, hadn't been able to talk to other people in person about it. And so, like, yeah, it is It is my preferred coming-of-age book. I will admit, I fucking hate Catcher in the Rye. Like, I hate oh, that book. Overrated. Yeah. So <laughs> many agree, fiery. Overrated. Yeah. But I also recognize that, like, what Catcher in the Rye did and, like, this, the style of book that it created meant that, you know, at the time, my favorite books, The Perks of Being Walthard, could exist, right? And this was truly the first book I ever wanted to adapt. This was the first thing I... I read it and I was like, oh my God, this has to be a movie. I want this, blah, blah, blah. And just, I thought about it all throughout film school. And so it was very important to me at a very pivotal time in my life. And although I don't feel the same strong emotions that I did in high school, thanks to decades of therapy and also unfortunately decades of like learning how to numb myself to the world, it still is really important to me. And I waited so long to see it, even though the writer both wrote the screenplay and directed it because there have been so many terrible adaptations. I was reading this Atlantic article that was just referencing how many flops. And especially like when a writer tries to direct, like they totally took a, a shot at Stephen King trying to do his only, his first and only directorial debut. I think it was like 86, something like mm -hmm. Pursuit or whatever. Maxim, I don't know. Maximum Overdrive. Maximum Overdrive. Oh, thank you. Yes. There we go. Yeah. And they're just talking about like other shitty adaptations, like Von it's never been adapted well. And what else can you guys think of that are like either good or really bad adaptations? Where they tried bad. to do it themselves? Anything. I'm mm. I'm opening it up. Oh god. Well my my the my least favorite adaptation off the top of my head is Life of Pi. Because mm. I love, 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 love that book and a 
like I, I hate the movie. I hate the movie so much. It it takes away from the magic and everything that you felt and it's it's such an imaginative book that trying to do all the things that they do in the book on screen totally mm. sucks all the life out of it. Mm. That's one of those ones where I was like, this is one of my favorite books of all time. Also, uh, Ready Player One. Mm, I hate, hate that adaptation yeah. too. Interesting. Because he also wrote that. Yeah, that's so. Right? Because he was a screenwriter. I actually just got Ready Player Two from the library. Yeah, I'm sorry, and Ernest Klein. And I'm a little Klein. bit worried. Sorry, Ernest Klein. I think, you know what? You I suck. Really... <laughs> You're no, I the love, worst. I love your books. Please, please don't make them into movies. <laughs> I think that's what I've had to do with adaptations is like completely divorce it from almost completely divorce it from the source material. It's more of like based upon or drawing ideas upon in order to to see things as a film and like does this work as a film, right? I mean, as someone who works on stuff that does get adapted into film, you know, with comics and stuff, that's a skill that I try and never works because it really bothers me when people take ideas and then the original idea was very good and they try mm-hmm. to expand upon it and make something crappy. Yeah. But Graham, what did, what did, what was the annotation that you didn't like? The only one I can think of was Big Fish, the Tim, oh, the yeah. Tim Burton did. Oh, yeah. I loved that book, and I remember going to see the movie and thinking, like, ironically, Tim Burton took all the magic out of this entire book. Is that funny? Yeah. It was very stale. I, thought, I found the movie to be very stale, and only like, one scene moved me. And I was like, this movie, this book is very emotional, and I am feeling nothing. <laughs> yeah. I love that the two of you picked, like, Katie, you pick a book that I've read, but I've never seen the movie, and now I'm never going to. Yeah, don't. And then, Graham, you picked a movie that I've seen. I actually owned Big Fish, because I, like, really enjoyed it, but I didn't, I don't even think I knew it was based on mm. a book. And now I'm like, ooh, I gotta go read that book yeah. and see how much better it is. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the hard thing, you know what the hardest thing is about, for me, for adaptations, is... When you read a book first, you create what the characters look like in your mind, like if there hasn't been a film or TV adaptation. And then once I see that and I try to go back and reread them, it's gone. Yeah. Like whenever I read Harry Potter, I picture Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint and fucking Alan fucking Rickman. Although that was like great. Alan Rickman. Yeah. Just, I mean, just perfect just prime. casting. Yeah. yeah. I will say they fucked with certain things with the Harry Potter adaptations that actually violated the rules of the universe of the books. And oh boy, that fifth movie really pisses me off. Sorry, I can I mean, obviously yeah. I could talk for days, but that is not what we are here to talk yeah, about. Perks. <laughs> let's get let's let's get back talking about perks. So yeah, I think this cast was actually pretty good. I think all of the really main actors worked really well. I still struggle with Emma Watson because I think she hasn't perfected her American accent yet. I still pick up on her Britishness and I'm like, oh, girl. Yeah. I'm sure in the book that her character was American, but I don't understand why they didn't just let her be British because she moved from far away and her mom marries Patrick's dad. I don't know why they just didn't let her have her British accent. Oh, that's a good point. I wonder if he was so tied. So like this book is semi-autobiographical and I wonder if he was so tied to his original feeling and vision he didn't want to do that i mean this was also one of her first films after harry potter so like breaking away like what i will really give emma watson credit for is i didn't look at her and think hey it's hermione with a short haircut that's true you know like i actually believed her more as the character sam i i still wanted a different performance out of Sam, she does portray both that like independent yet a bit insecure. I mean, oh, I think the word you're looking for is manic pixie dream girl. See, I feel like if she had the British accent, she'd be even more of a yeah. manic pixie dream She's girl. She's super manic but... pixie dream girl. <laughs> In this, yeah. like, likes music, views herself as an outsider when she's clearly super attractive and, you know, cool. When she's like, I just want to be at a college party and being hearing, you know, the Cocteau twins. I know. And that, well, I'm like, gimme. Well, same. That's probably like, <laughs> how I would have thought. <laughs> that was one thing that yeah. really bothered me is so in, in an early scene in the movie, Patrick and Sam and Charlie are in a car and they're driving and they hear heroes come on the on the radio and like oh my god you've never heard this song before what what is it i don't know what it is if you guys like know the smiths and you know like all those other bands that they mentioned if you don't know what david bowie's voice sounds like that was that was like struggling for me i'm like katie 
That was the one thing I hated about this movie. Like, how the <laughs> fuck do you not know Heroes by David Bowie if you're right? so fucking cool? Even if How you do you don't not know, know Heroes? This... It is his song. Like, give me a fucking break. You're so I cool. Know. This I reminded know. me. Oh, okay. This reminded me. <laughs> yes, Graham's getting revved up. Of this guy I knew in Boston through a friend who was so full of himself in terms of like. Name what names. He thought, I'm just kidding. No. He thought he was the most like renowned connoisseur of independent music or like, you know, basically like nothing that was like top four. He's like, I know everything about British music and I know everything about like indie Scott music. I go, oh, what's your favorite Bell and Sebastian album? And he's mm-hmm. like, who are they? I go, oh my oh, God. Okay. <laughs> All right. You don't know shit. All right. You don't know shit for shit. Bell and Sebastian's amazing. Yes. Grandma, so- when we saw them. Yes, it's one of the favorite nights of my life is when we saw them in 2006. So it's interesting to think, when you think of like high school movies, coming of age, how important music is to the high school experience, both in real life and in movies, like it comes to define you. Like that's one of the first conversations that Emma Watson has with Charlie is like, what kind of music do you listen to? And then they connect over that. So I do wish this movie had a better soundtrack. Like they had a lot of songs that are pretty popular you know they had come on eileen and they had you know heroes and they have they have stuff like a a couple smith songs that like normal people are like yeah this is considered you know cool music everybody knows this but a lot of teen movies come to be defined by their soundtrack like you know empire records or Mm -hmm. lots of other things like that so i wish this had more of a soundtrack but then it also takes me back to when i was in high school and the power of the mixtape You know, because how powerful, like, okay, so, you know, I defined myself in school by like the type of music I like because I really liked it and it helped me feel unique as a person. And so that's how I made other friends and connected because, you know, we trade mixtapes or you make mixtapes for your crushes. And Graham, I still have, it's it's a CD at this point, but I still have a CD that you made me. And that was the first time I heard Bell and Sebastian. Oh my God. What else is on it? Oh, I don't know. I, I have to look it up. It's in the garage, but. We're going to have to have a dance party over Zoom, apparently. But yes, it was, it was <laughs> one of the first things that, you know, you and I connected over because you had, you had given me this mix CD. And I was like, yay. That's friendship. Friendship is suffering and mixtapes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I, I still have. So I listened to punk rock in high school. That was that was what I loved. I loved I still love it. Kitty had a lip ring. I did. I did. I w- I'm just a little angry punk rock kid inside. What was your AIM messenger name? Remember, oh. it was just a bunch of initials <laughs> representing bunch, bands? It was a bunch of letters, and they all represented my, like, my favorite bands, which if I reveal them right now, you'd be like, oh, my God, Kitty, what's wrong with you? But. Kitty, do it. I know, wasn't um one of them Jimmy Eat World? Yes. <laughs> My screen name was FXIJ. IJ, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no effects, right? Phoenix TX. Oh, okay. Phoenix TX, Incubus, Jimmy Eat World, because I am the coolest. I thought No FX was Nofix. I'm like, I gotta get that new Nofix CD. <laughs> I love No FX. <laughs> Sounds like a really Boston way to. <laughs> gotta get that Nofix CD. Nofix. 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 Uh, don't worry, I had shit taste in music for a very long time. And according to Bob, I still kind of do, so. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know. But... Well, and I think, I think like in high school, maybe, maybe that's why, like, students like students kids probably think they have like this great music taste but they really don't know what they're talking about that's why they don't know what the hero song is like you guys think that you're but like you really don't you've got a lot to learn almost yeah so what's really interesting about the choice of heroes originally when he had because in the book they never name what the song is which i think is actually sort of a benefit of the book because it allows you to insert whatever song you feel and like that to me is both one of the most powerful scenes and powerful lines in the book the i feel infinite and that is like straight up that is a feeling i have tried to chase forever because like as a kid who again grew up with a lot of anxiety had a lot of anxiety attacks often about like oh my god i'm alive i'm existing and like you get like way too meta with all of your thoughts i just wanted to like feel infinite or i wanted to get so involved in the act of living that i forgot that i was alive while mm. feeling very alive and so the director and writer was talking about how originally he had envisioned that i believe as landslide by fleetwood mac but then when they were filming this it made more sense like for the tone and maybe some like licensing issues, they chose Heroes by David Bowie, which I think that 
Song is actually a much better choice. I agree with you that it's like, why wouldn't they know who Bowie is? Like, Bowie has a very distinctive voice. I'm like, if you like it. But it's Bowie. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so it's like kind of that thing between like, well, this song works better, but we're going to keep in this piece, you know, and like, it's an important, it's an important part later. Like, it comes up later of like, I found the song, you know. So they never, in the book, they never mention what the song is. Is that no. True? no, not I not that I can recall. If they should have done that in the movie, just like n- had it be silent or like remove all the sounds, so like whatever the person, whatever the the viewer could have filled it in with whatever song meant meant something to them. For me, that I, wouldn't have worked. Yeah, I think it works so well in the movie. Yeah, it like, does especially, fit. and like I, the ending with its usage of it, and and oh my god. It, brought up so many feelings for me. I was weeping through the last, like, 30 minutes of this movie. Yeah, no, like, what I really love about the use of heroes is, like, when I think about Landslide and, like, my own personal experiences, Landslide, to me, is a song that I that I listen to when I am, like, feeling sad and I want to sort of live into my sadness. I want to connect to something tangible with it. Whereas, for me, Heroes is a little bit triumphant. It's a, it's life giving. Like I literally listened to it right before we started this podcast just to like get into the feeling. And it, it's something that buoys me from those feelings that kind of drag me down. And I also think, I mean, just to get very literal, the idea of like being a hero of your own story and wanting to step outside of it. Like we always think like, heroes oh my god they have this great life and whatever else and that just knowing what a dark place charlie has been in and will be in again Mm -hmm. that again that song is sort of that that like lifeboat and having that experience with his new friends like that is something he can cling to to still want Mm -hmm. to survive Mm -hmm. there are two celebrity deaths that like knocked me down and made me like weep uncontrollably and that's jim henson and David Bowie. And the day that David Bowie died, I listened to Heroes nonstop, walking on my lunch break and just sobbing because of like what that song like symbolizes, actually what you're pointing to and like what he symbolized. So yeah, I just, I know I have a very much a, a strong feeling towards this song. I guess that's why I'm def- like so defensive of its use in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> But it is a little weird. It's like, come on, guys. You don't know yeah, Bowie? Yeah, like, like, yeah. Who, it's, it's, it's like musical malpractice that somebody hadn't introduced Bowie to you, you know? It's also like, today, what would it be? Like, oh, this, what's this song? It, it's like NSYNC, bye, bye, bye. I'm like, you obviously you know what NSYNC, like, come on. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I love how you just tried to compare David Bowie well, to I mean, NSYNC. <laughs> just, like, just like a song that everybody knows. <laughs> You know, even like even if you don't know the song, you know what David Bowie's voice sounds like. Yeah, you've never heard Beyonce's single ladies. What the fuck? Yeah, Are you living under be- a okay, rock. Actually, better use because she's better than NSYNC. So, yeah, it's like single ladies <laughs> from no. Beyonce or crazy in love. When like, I when I was a kid, one of the games that we would play in the car with my mom was there'd be a song that would come on the radio and she would kind of ask us who sang it. So we'd have to like learn how to pick out voices and you know styles even if we'd never heard and and my trick was I was like if I had never heard the song before I have to listen to the person's voice because then I can pick out like you know who it might be so I was trained from an early age Mm. to listen your mom was trying to turn you into the human version of Shazam (laughs) yes she was this was before Shazam yeah re-watching this so I saw this in theaters when it came out and I remember beyond the the Bowie how do you not know what the hell that song is moment. I was very affected by it. And I was a little nervous to rewatch it again because I thought, would I find it cloying today as like a 37 year old? Would I roll my eyes about it a lot with it? And it brought up so many memories of high school this time for me that greatly touched me, affected me. And as I mentioned, I, I cried a lot more than I expected because so as as Ashley, as you mentioned, like we see ourselves in Charlie and also Logan Lerman's performance is so lovely. Oh my god, he's, he's amazing. And he just he just captures that loneliness so well. And I was an incredibly lonely kid in high school. I had like two friends. I and like there are moments in the movie that I forgot, like how everyone in his like people in his English class are just like mean to him for no reason. Right? right? Like and I was like, Yeah, I had people who were just like out 
out for blood for me. And I never like did anything to these people. So it brought up those kinds of memories. But also, I, I guess what I was so emotional about was, yeah, that was terrible at that point. But like, look, look where I am now. <laughs> you know, like, like, and like the messaging that I kind of wish I had this movie when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Like not just the book. Obviously, I read the book. I can't. I'm, back when I was 14, it didn't affect me as much as it affected you, Ashley. I think I probably wasn't paying as much attention as I was reading it. I don't know. I just, I just thought that it, it hit a lot of emotional bells for me that I was not expecting. I remember watching this in the, in like the early, like, like late morning and just like, it's not even noon. And I'm like completely like deplete of all water in my system because I'm just crying. And it was I just good. really wanted you to, you know, be able to expel all the emotions that we've been bottling up the last yeah. few months. And, yes, uh, they're gone. I had never seen it. This was new to me. I also, I watched it first thing this morning, which was really stupid because now this is a horrible way to start your day. It's a, like, like they've both said, it's a very emotional movie. So with, with watching any movies that take place in high school as an adult, I either find that I can't connect with them because, you know, clearly I'm not in high school anymore, or I think they're, they're cloying, or I just, I just, I'm like, I don't get what these kids are doing. But <laughs> it's with kids these days. <laughs> but since it is a movie that's set in high school when I was in high school, like we were all freshmen in 1999 when this movie takes place. It's 91. Oh, yeah. The book was written were, in '99. My bad. You were seven. I was. I was in first grade. <laughs> but it still got that '90s feel, right? We're bookending yeah. in the '90s. Yep. Yes. So I did not find it too saccharine. I thought it was extremely authentic, almost mm. in a way that Freaks and Geeks is authentic. In a way yes. that the authenticity makes you uncomfortable, because you're like, it's it's too real. I enjoyed kind of seeing Patrick's experience in how he makes new friends and how it didn't feel forced. Like, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of screenwriters have a difficult time when you have an outsider and you have a loner and how do you get them to make friends? But my overall thought on the movie was, I think it's, it's good. It's not like the best coming of age story. I wouldn't like rewatch this movie or probably recommend it just because I'm like, it's fine. I also don't like feeling feelings, so mm. I was very upset to be like, God damn it, Ashley, making me feel things, and I don't want to. <laughs> it's true. I mean, if you don't, if, if you're in the Katie camp of I don't want to feel things, don't watch yeah, this, this movie. Not don't don't want to feel anything. Unless you, yeah, unless like you're so good at divorcing yourself from feelings, which I've been working on for a very long time, and honestly, it's a bad thing to work on, then you could watch it. But like, yeah, this is gonna, if you're not an iceberg, it's gonna make you feel shit. Oh I I did like Patrick's character a lot. Do you mean Patrick or Charlie? Which Patrick? Because I like Patrick because I in my head I was like I totally understand what a little like ball of energy Charlie would be drawn to, you know? Because in my head I'm like I don't understand like Patrick that kind of kid seems like he would be popular because he's funny and he's loud and he's flamboyant in all the best ways, and he's magnetic. Yes. Yeah, but he's a gay kid in a Pittsburgh school in 1991. Yes, so which I was, I was also yeah. surprised. Like, you know, I went to a Catholic high school and no one was, was out, at least that I was aware of, in my school. So seeing something like that was interesting because he never, like, he never, he, he seemed like he was, he was only himself around his friends. It wasn't like, you know, he could be as out as possible in school. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, I also, okay, so did you guys, like, go to high school parties? Is that like a thing people actually okay. do in high school? No, it, I had no. I had. Like I, no didn't, I didn't. So, I had friends, but I didn't go to parties either. I, I went to happened. a couple, and they were uncomfortable. I never went to like a really fun one, like at Pat, the one that they brought Charlie to, where it's like all the cool kids. I remember the first high school party in quotation marks. I ever went to. I think I was maybe a freshman or a sophomore, and we just went to somebody's house of like the extended popular crew right there's always a a popular crew in high school and there weren't that many lights on there was no music and there was just like random alcohol in the kitchen right like some shitty beer and some other stuff and I was just like this is a high school party (laughs) like is the this is what people are doing and like I didn't drink where's the dj yeah (laughs) 
It was the bump in tunes. I didn't drink till like sophomore year of college. And so I just, that was never my thing of like, I'm going to do that. I'm like, let me tell you, baby Ashley was smart because now 37 year old Ashley doesn't slash can't really drink anymore. So like she was on, she was on the right track. Drinking's not, not the right, not the right spot for me. No, it just seems so dumb. Like I had so much more fun with my group of friends and like our like 10 people parties, which were just like hangs. And we would like, oftentimes we would end up at my house because my mom just like loved having kids over. She loved feeding us and giving us whatever. And we would like, somebody would be playing the guitar or we'd make like stupid films or just do whatever. Or that's the other thing I want to ask you guys about. Like, what was your, what were your like high school hangouts? You know, like after the football game, everybody went to like Applebee's or the Taco Bell parking lot. Mm -hmm. That was like kind of like the cool kid thing to do. But I also remember I would like, I distinctly remember for a while Friday nights, my two best friends, Bess Young and Lauren Ricker. Hey, what up? We would go to Walmart with $20 <laughs> and we would try to see like what weird things we yeah, could buy. That's cute. And one time we were definitely being followed around, which like, you know, is a unique experience for a white kid, but not mm. for other kids. Very something that unfortunately happens a lot. But yeah, I was just like, I was brought back to like, what did we do and how does this experience compare to mine? And like, what's the same and what's different? Our hangouts were Shelby's Coffee in Jacksonville Beach, where we go like in the afternoon and pretend to be like very cultured and very like, like oh, we're going to sit here and talk about books. And then we, we just talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> nice. Would you and order then, coffee? Yes. Of course. Oh, please. Katie, yes. would you order coffee? Would you order coffee or water? I haven't talked about mine, but I will. <laughs> but the uh, the place we went to a lot was Al's Pizza, also in Jacksonville Beach. And it was just like a trio of us because pizza was cheap. And we were like, we'd stay for hours and just like gab, gab, gab. But yeah, I didn't have parties because like no one ever invited me because I was like, you know, obviously a closeted gay kid. But, like, the friends I had, we, we had these, like, great nights of just, like, chilling, talking about movies, talking about books, going to, like, see independent film at the Neptune 6 in Jacksonville, <laughs> the only place that really played them. But, yeah, no parties for me. No, nothing. Katie, what about you? You were a cheerleader in high school. I, oh, my God. I was. I was a cheerleader in high school who liked punk rock music, so you can tell how great I fit in. Yeah, but you're fucking great, and that's why we love you so oh, much. Yeah. thank you. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't really... Like, yeah, I was I was a cheerleader, but I wasn't really a part of that group. I was more like I, I did. I made a lot of art friends and a lot of my friends came from the Catholic retreat I would do. That's where all my like best friends came from. And they didn't go to my school. And I was in I was in orchestra. So I was friends with a lot of the band kids. Uh, I don't I played, think I knew you were in orchestra. Did you play the French horn? What'd you play? Cello. Cello. Mm-hmm. How have I after... I don't Almost know. 20 years of friendship realized that you play the cello. Can you still play the cello? No, I, I can't. But I was in a few orchestras for years. And like I was in this orchestra once where we were going to play Carnegie Hall. And <gasps> the conductor was such a giant raging bitch that I couldn't take it anymore. So I quit. Before Carnegie you. Hall? Yeah, I quit before Carnegie. I wish I didn't. I wish I had stuck it out, but whatever. But we hung out at, there's the Spider Diner. So if any of my old friends are listening to this, we would go to the Sparta Diner and a bunch of my friends, like a bunch of them smoked and I didn't. So I would. Good for you. Well, no. So I would be there and like, we'd just hang out and I would just be drinking cups and cups of coffee and like I would be so jazzed and like you know riled up but we would just we would just hang out and I'd come home and my mom would be like did you smoke you smell like smoke I'm like no I promise I didn't mom I didn't smoke it was all my friends but I was the same way like I didn't drink in high school and I think a lot of my friends started having parties and not inviting me because I didn't drink so like a lot of the friends guys, that I, we can still hang if we don't drink. Okay, I no. can still hang, and, and that's why I yep. made a lot of my best friends outside of of high school because I made them through you know this this church group. But yeah, I liked I, I felt like like the group of friends that Charlie and and Sam and Patrick have, where you know, and 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 Mary Elizabeth's character is like the little punk rock Buddhist. I felt like those were I'm like those are my those would be my people, like the people who do Rocky Horror Picture Show, and who are you know a little on the on the nerdy side. I was like, those those, those would have been my people. 
I just wanted to sing the praises of Mae Whitman, who Yay! Oh my God, she's so good. She, I mean, I mean, she did a great job. She, she doesn't. She gets a lot of work, and she's been working for years since but, childhood. Uh, one fine day, hello, yeah. with Michelle Pfeiffer and Mr. George Clooney. But she's great in everything. I love, love, love her. Katie, she's in Parenthood, the TV show. So oh, okay. Watch it. She's just you always gonna be Anne to me. She'll yeah. always be Egg. In the movie where. She has like a new boyfriend, and she's like, "Charlie, this is my new boyfriend." Mm-hmm. We like the same. It's just like she just kills it with that role. I just she's she so, good. so good. I always in high school, I always wanted to be able to be assured of myself and like comfortable in my weirdness in order to have a group of friends like Charlie and Sam and Patrick, you know. And I. I think there was always this part of me that was really jealous that those kids really knew who they were and rejected the need to fit into this like high school ideal where like I I wasn't comfortable enough with my like weirdness or my depression or like whatever else and I wanted to hide behind that and like just be like I'm going to buy clothes from Abercrombie and Fitch and yeah. I'm going to get like the haircuts that other people get and all this other stuff. And like, I feel like that's something I still, still struggle with. Like there are still times where I'm like, get the cool haircut, get that like edgy thing or whatever, you know, like there's part of me that always wanted to do like the, what is that? Like undershave however many years ago when it was like, yeah, yeah, the undercut. And I was like, I just would look really weird or whatever. Cause there's still this part of me that still just wants desperately to be, loved and accepted and those are the times when I think that part of me has never really left high school which like that's also a little bit sad right that like developmentally sometimes I'm just like stuck in one place but then there are other times when I look back on like high school Ashley and I remembered how idealistic I was and having such strong ideas in my own beliefs and how in my 20s I really just like both got stronger in certain beliefs, but faded away from a Mm. lot of other things and have been able to come back to that a little bit in my thirties. And I think that also comes with age too, of just being like, fuck it, man. Like life is too short. I don't need to be doing this shit. I don't need to be pleasing anybody else. It's a waste of my fucking time. Mm -hmm. I tried that. It doesn't work. So like, I really respect and admire people who are able to figure that out young and, and stay with that. You know, like to me, that is, is really powerful, which makes me think about like, what were the other really powerful scenes or lines in this for you? Because there are two that really stand out for me. So like one is the tunnel scene and the, I feel infinite. That was really powerful for me. The other thing that I guess it's like three, there's another scene that hits really hard, but before we get into that, cause that's going to get like serious and I might choke up. The line that Mr. Anderson says, which like Paul Rudd, oh my God, perfect casting. Well done, Paul Rudd. Love Paul Rudd. That man barely ages, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, you are a vampire, kind of like Nicolas Cage, except Nick Cage, like now he's starting to age. It's like he stopped drinking the blood of humans. But he said, we accept the love we think we deserve. That's the one. That was my favorite (sighs) line because it didn't feel hackneyed. The others like... Uh, like when Emma Watson says, welcome to the island of misfit toys, I was like, oh, God. But but that's also a thing a high school kid would say. Uh, yeah. I know. Especially, and the kids are like, also I have, like pretty pretty wealthy. I'm like, you guys are fine. <laughs> You're fine. Yeah. That also intimately relates to the really powerful ending scene, which was shot so well. Like we have that last night of Charlie and Sam and then when Sam is leaving, he starts to have an anxiety attack. And like, this is where film is such a great medium for this, where you're seeing flashbacks and you're seeing clips. And like, you're seeing when like he and Sam that night before she leaves, she kind of is like, yes, I have these same feelings for you. And they start to try to get more physical and actually flashes back Charlie to like the abuse by his aunt, which is what we see in this scene. And then he's coming home and he's just like 
truly spiraling and he calls his sister and this is like, she's like, oh my God, you have to call the police. And she says to her friend, like, call the police, send them to my house, you know. And I was, right before we started this, I was reading the screenplay of that. I think it was from like a, a Vulture article. And like, I started tearing up because I was like, holy shit, man, this is the way that this was written and then the way that it was created on screen was done so well and also made me realize like this is why you could never be a screenwriter ashley because in screenwriting you have so few words to be able to describe what you want characters to say and the feelings that you have and just the the jumping in between all those scenes i was like holy shit now i don't know why i never thought it was before but i was like i got to find the screenplay of this and just read his entire screenplay But it just, I also find it interesting, like the things that we want to ignore or that we can't handle. Because the first time I read this, I had, you know, I was 15 years old. I hadn't been in therapy yet. It would be a year before I would like beg my parents to go. I completely glossed over the abuse by his aunt Helen. I like don't know why I just wanted to ignore that. Right. It was, it wasn't something I could handle. And it was. Five or six years later, my mom was visiting me in Boston the summer before our junior year. I think that was when you guys were all FICOs and I was taking classes and Kim Parr was talking to my mom about that book and she mentioned that and she and my mom were talking about it and I was like, wait, what? That happened? Like, it's interesting Mm. how we can protect ourselves or forget certain things in order to, I mean, just for self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) But there were some pieces that were really missing. And I understand when you adapt, you can't have everything, right? But I was really sad all the pieces about Candace, Charlie's sister, were gone. Like, I felt like you saw so much more of their relationship. And, Mm. like, in the book, there's a whole storyline. We see briefly about how her boyfriend hits her. And then she eventually breaks up with him. But in the book, that happens And then she actually gets pregnant and then Charlie takes her to get an abortion. And it isn't until after that that she ends up breaking up with Ponytail Derek, who's a piece of shit. Who's in succession? Oh, is he? Yes. I haven't watched that. Heard good things. I'm kind of glad that they didn't include that only because it would feel like you're shoving too many of the quote unquote like high school thing, like trauma things you'd have to go through. Yeah, there's no way to put it in the film authentically. Yeah, only because I'm like, okay, you deal with, you know, depression, suicide, sexual and physical abuse, you know. Homophobia. Yeah, yeah, homophobia. There's there's so many things you can shove into one thing without it feeling like you're putting all of the things that you feel into one movie. Mm-hmm. Even though you do feel all of the things, sure, in but high like school. having having so an abortion things. scene with his sister, I I understand why they didn't include it because it would have been like one more thing to squish into this. Yeah, there wasn't enough space to develop that relationship. It yeah. would have felt too perfunctory instead of the way it comes across in the book, which feels a bit more authentic. Yeah. Graham, what do you think? I do think that what they were able to do with that sister character in the film was pretty good in, in terms of. The, the way that that film adaptation came about, especially that last scene when he calls her mm-hmm. and you can tell of their intense bond and how, and her immediately like turning the gears and saying, somebody get the police to my house. Like that scene really affected me because I don't know. It just, I think I get why they didn't do it. I completely agree with you. It would have been too much. Even so, like what they were able to do with her in the film, I thought was really well done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just, just putting into like four or five scenes for her. No. Graham, was there anything else you remember from the book that wasn't in the film? Or do you feel like? I think this is just like a really rarely rare, well done adaptation. You mm-hmm. know, it just makes sense what, what was put on screen. Yeah. And I think that comes from an author who was also trained as a screenwriter. And he like years before this film had directed like an, another indie. So he knows how to write books. He knows how to screenwrite, which which like, you know, tease him up for being a great adapter of his own material. I think it was also that, you know, it had, there had been enough time and enough people were behind it that you were able to make collective creative decisions to really keep it true to the spirit and the intent of the book. What else has mm-hmm. he written? In terms of movies? Well, he's, or he, books. He, he wrote, for movies, he did the screenplay for the movie Rent. 
Okay. Which was not well done. He did the movie Wonder with Julia Roberts and the kid from Room. He wrote and directed that movie. Okay. He's directing the upcoming adaptation of Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, interesting. That tracks. Yeah. In novels, his his other novel I'm seeing is something called Imaginary Friend, which came out in 2019. All right. Yeah, it was recent. I think it's actually more horror. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But his other movie, The Wonder, made a lot of money, like over $130 million. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that book was so popular. It's written by R.J. Palacio. And yeah, I have some qualms with that yeah. book. But yeah, I mean, when you can get enough money and enough creative control and you know what you're doing, mm. you know, and you surround yourself with people who know what they're doing, you can, you can do something really well. Katie, obviously you didn't love it as much as us. Talk a little bit about the parts you didn't like. Yeah, because we Emma gotta Watson? have a hater. We gotta have a hater. So I mean, I feel like I'm usually the Debbie Downer of the group anyway. But I did not care for Emma. Like Emma Watson did a fine job. Like her Brit- British accent aside, she did a fine job. But having that character and like the character of a mani- manic pixie dream girl is difficult because of what she represents to the main character. You know, it's it's always this girl who's going to save them or this girl that means everything mm-hmm. or like, you know, if if they don't have them, then life is not worth living. And that that's a trope across several other manic pixie dream girls. And, yeah, it treats uh, women and, as objects. Yes. But that aside, I thought she did. There's a lot of shitty things done to people to characters in this movie, whether it's the shop teacher calling Patrick. What is it? Patty cakes? Um, yeah, that? but do you know who played the shop no, teacher? No. Oh my god! Katie! It was Tom Savini. Oh, was it? Yes! <laughs> Graham and I were texting, we're like, oh my god, Katie's gonna be so excited. It's Tom Savini. Tom Savini looked much larger in this movie than he does right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's a skinnier Unrecognizable. guy. Unrecognizable. But no, I did not know that. He looks much better now. He's very in shape now. Like I was saying, there's a bunch of uh, characters who are really shitty to each other and do a lot of really terrible things. But I thought the most shitty thing done, well, not the most because of the, you know, there's there's sexual abuse in this. But one of the most shitty things is what Emma Watson's character does to Charlie when she kisses him. So The first time? Yes, the first time. So oh. she says to him... You know, they're they're having this moment in her bedroom and it's super clear to her that obviously Charlie has a crush on her and it's, it's a big crush and, and anyone who's got eyeballs in, in the movie knows that, but they just don't talk about it because you don't talk about it, but they're in her room and she, yeah. And she says to him, like, you can clearly tell that like he would like to make a move on her. Oh, it was, it was, it was like, yeah, a night, a night he was thinking about it was Christmas and they did a lot of like things that, you know, meant a lot. And she says to him, I want your first kiss to be someone who loves you. The thing she said immediately before that is, you know how I feel about, what was that? Her boyfriend's name. Craig. Craig. You know how I feel about Craig and you know, I like Craig, but I want this. I want you. I want your first kiss to be someone who loves you. And then she gives him her first kiss and she tells him she loves him. That to me was the like one of the worst things she could have done to him because she immediately tells him this kiss means nothing to me because I like someone else. I'm not going to date you. I understand you have a crush on me and I'm not going to validate your feelings. I'm going to just do this thing that that will have no repercussions for me whatsoever, but is going to totally fuck you up. I think you have a good good point there. Yeah, and and she doesn't. He's fourteen. He's fourteen. He does not have the experience that she does. Yeah, and, and he doesn't have the ability to like, get what she's getting at. Yeah, and most. I mean, honestly, like, on one hand, I'm like, it might be a thing that people in high school would do, but on the other hand, with her character's experience of you know going out with a lot of guys, sleeping with a lot of guys, and not having that 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 feeling reciprocated by any of them, she should know how that feels. And so her not being honest with him and saying, I don't like you that way, or it's just like her leading him on in a way that is so destructive. It seems more destructive than almost anything else. Not almost anything else, but it's, it's, it's more destructive than a lot of things that happened in the movie. And that really bothered me. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think when we look at it as adults, we can clearly see like, girl, 
you shouldn't have done that. And I'm trying to, I don't want to justify her bad behavior, right? Because it's like, <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. But I also see how as a 17, eight-year-old girl, woman, young lady, who's had these really fucked up scenarios, I, I think she's telling herself it doesn't mean anything, but she is also only accepting the love she thinks she deserves, right? And I think she's got these preconceived notions of like, Charlie's four years younger, and that's weird, and I'm only into older guys, and because she's living into some of the abuse that she experienced earlier on. But then she's also recognizing her own vulnerability. But there isn't like, it's almost like there isn't true consent because how can there be that clear consent when it is so fraught and fucked up, you know? Yeah. And I think... And she, he, she just I don't know him. if it was meant... Yeah, I don't know if we as the audience were meant to see that as like a beautiful thing or if we're seeing it as wow, there's some just like really fucked up layers of a lot of stuff that's going on, you know, because then later she does realize how much she cares for Charlie, right? I don't know. I just, I think it. I don't think they're going to last okay. five seconds. I think she's going to be in college and I think oh, she's going to fall in love with someone else. Oh, I think yeah. He's I'm not gonna, saying oh, no. they're going to go mean, the distance, like, but. He's not going to know them within like half no. a year, basically. Yeah. No. But I think it does point to how confusing and how fraught things are, especially when you're doing so many things for the first time, right? Like so much about adolescence and everything else is like experiencing it for the first time and not knowing how to navigate and not knowing what to do. And like, luckily we have, you know, the benefit of hindsight to be able to be like, no, that was wrong or whatever. But like, you don't know those social cues. You don't understand those things. That doesn't excuse bad behavior, but it helps me understand why she was doing these shitty things. I suppose so. I don't know. But yeah, it's still like, don't fucking do that. Like, if you know somebody likes you and you're not in a place to do that, even though you want something loving for them, don't fucking do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, he does it too to... Well, he's also, like, frozen. He's like, I got into a situation that I don't... I don't want to date this person, but I don't know how to get out of it. And she's, like, an older person, and so... And it's also, like, there are kind of, like, four, like or more like trauma responses. So we're all very familiar with like fight or flight, but there's also freeze and there's also fawn, which is like being a people pleaser, right? And Charlie's so desperate to be liked. He's just going along with these things, not realizing, hey, this is actually, that's a shitty thing to do, yeah. you know, because you're actually hurting somebody else's feelings by not being honest. Yeah. So, I mean, in that regard, I was like, Real representation of life. That's that's real that's life. Is messy. Very, High school's a, awkward. A very authentic, a very authentic film that I yeah. will not be watching again. Yeah, I'm so, gonna watch it again. I'm watching um, it again. I think I will, but it's one of those things that I have to space out. You know, like yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna put it on like right now. <laughs> yeah, not just because I don't feel like tapping into those deep emotions, but there are some things for me that with rewatching, I'm gonna start to pull apart all of the issues and things I have with it now as an almost 37 year old. And I still want, I want to keep that feeling a little bit alive. So this is what I want to hear from our, from our audience, from our listeners, right? I want to hear both like, what are your coming of age movies that you loved, whether the story itself was coming of age or you just watched it and was so pivotal or what are those books for you? And, you know, we're a bit more active on Instagram, but I will get better at Twitter and ask this as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a season two promise, (laughs) Ashley. You have to deliver. It was a season two. I have a lot of season two to fulfill that promise. (laughs) I'm working on it. I will slowly work better and better. And thank you to all those who have given me horror book recommendations. I've had a few people reach out to me. So thank you. I'm going to try to read some of those. That Paul Tremblay head full of ghosts. I've had like four people tell me to read it and I have it. It's in my garage. I will never find it in there. So I'm probably just going to buy another copy, but I will read it. So thank you. Find it from the library. Maybe, maybe LA County libraries has it. I'm not going to the library know. right now. What's wrong with you? Girl, ebooks. Come on. I like to have the real book. I don't like Guys, let's not fight. <laughs> let's not fight about what physical form of books. Graham, can you preview next week's for us? I'm really excited. We're doing something new. We're doing uh, a new thing for season two, and we're wrapping up our Book It theme with our first guest. Yay! (gasps) Yes! 
I mean, we've already recorded the episode, so we can guarantee you that it is a rollicking good time. It's fantastic. We are bringing on author, you know, Renaissance woman, I'm going to call her that, yeah. Angie Bellaro, who's going to be on to talk about her new children's book, Breaking the Ice, which is the story of the first and only woman in the National Hockey League. And we're going to be talking about, get ready, Twilight. <laughs> that is her choice. And uh, y'all, it's it's going to be a really good one. We oh, it's a good one. had a great time talking with Angie, so definitely look forward, looking forward to all of you hearing that next week. Yay. Well, thank you all so much for sticking around and listening. Hit us up on social media. Graham, what are our social media handles? Again? <laughs> on Instagram, we are Let Me Intro You Pod. And, and I think on Twitter, we're just let me intro you. Correct. Right? Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Ashley, one of these weeks, you're going to get it. I am going to get it. I am going to get it. So, well, y'all, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you felt some things, but, you know, within reason. Um, use healthy coping mechanisms when you feel things. And, pizza uh, don't, Hut. Like Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, don't be afraid to... You know, reach out to the people or medical professionals in your life if you need a little additional support. It's a hard time right now. So thank you all for joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. Let Me Introduce You is a podcast hosted by Graham Veth, Katie Kubert, and Ashley Crone. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Make sure to follow the Let Me Introduce You podcast on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod and on Twitter at Let Me Intro You. 